This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. So I'll talk about this paper very quickly then. There was this paper in JAMA Network Open by, I mean, it's uh, maybe pronouncing it wrong, but I know this, this the French name. So Nancy Bogossian, right? Bogossian. I don't know how you pronounce it in English, but in French it would be Bogossian. I mean, and people a, can, should feel free to email us. We, there's a very famous French from. French soccer player who won the World Cup for us in 1998 right. who was named Bogossian. And I'm pretty sure about that one. So okay. I'm going to I'm gonna stick to my guns. But anyway. Well, we'll We'll see. It's called Trends in Resources for Neonatal Intensive Care Delivery Hospitals for Infant Born Younger Than 30 Weeks Gestation, 2009 to 2020. Um, it's a very interesting paper. It mentions how in 1976, the March Dimes Committee on Perinatal Health published recommendations on perinatal care regionalization in the U.S. that included the referral of mothers and infants with high risk of adverse perinatal outcomes to a hospital with a regional neonatal intensive care unit, right? And so this is really the beginning, historically, of us trying to provide regionalization of care, where we're going to have centers that are going to be our perinatology, regional, whatever, I forget what they're called here in the U.S. Uh, Repick? I think they're Repick. Anyway, I forget. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm tired. It's service week. I'm just not um, doing this. However, and there's a significant body of evidence demonstrating the importance of perinatal care regionalization, given the substantial reduction in both mortality and morbidities for newborns at high risk of adverse outcome, particularly very low birth weight infants. And so there's been this incentive to deliver these infants and these mothers at higher level NICUs. So what the study did is that it looked at um, data from the Vermont Oxford Network, which is probably one of the largest collaborative. It's a voluntary collaborative where units can can voluntarily share their data uh, from 2009 to 2020, uh, looking at uh, data from the U.S. Um, among newborns born between 22 and 29 weeks gestation. And they looked at the regionalization um, trends uh, in the birthplace uh, NICU level and the NICU volume. So what they did was looking, we said 22 to 29 weeks, and then they classified the NICUs into three, sort of three categories, right? So you have level A, which is your lowest level NICU, and there's restrictions on assisted ventilation, no, and no surgeries. Then you have your level B, which is your intermediate level, um, where really the only thing that they will not really take care of is major surgery. But level B centers were further divided into either low volume, which is less than 50 inborn micropremies a year, or high volume, which is 50 or more uh, infants born between 22 and 29 weeks gestation. And then finally, you have C, um, with um, which are your highest level acuity. Now, high volume B and level C centers were combined, and so they resulted in three distinct NICU categories. So you had level A, low volume B, and then high B and C NICUs. Okay, so that's because if you go through the paper, that can get quite confusing. So I, I thought this is important to just go over this right now. The main outcome they were looking at was the change in the percentage of births at hospital with level A, low volume B, and high volume B or NICU-C overall by U.S. census and region. I'm not going to go into great detail about the results because they go into very granular pieces of data, and um, but I want to give you the overall theme. So it was a total of 357,000 infants that were included in the analysis. And across region, the Pacific had the lowest, while the South Atlantic had the highest percentage of births at a hospital with a high level, a high volume B or C NICU. 
births at hospital with A-level NICU, meaning the lowest level, increased by 5.6%, and births at low-volume B-level NICU increased by 3.6%, while births at hospitals with high-volume B or C-level decreased by 9.2%. And what this data is actually going to show you is that this trend that we had seen up until now of regionalization of care is being reversed, and we're seeing a higher number of babies being delivered in, we're basically seeing a deregionalization of care. And I think this is a big shift for our profession. I'm going to go through a few more results. By 2020, less than half of the births for infants 22 to 29 weeks gestation occurred um, in high volume B or level C NICUs. Most U.S. census region followed the nationwide trends. So basically, when they looked at, for example, um, birth at hospital with high volume BOC level NICU decreased by 10.9% in the east, north, central region, and by 21.1% in the west, south, central region. And the graphs are pretty impressive. Now, concluding in this paper, the retrospective cohort study does identify this deregionalization trend in birthplace hospital level of care for infants born at 22 to 29 weeks. That's also an important point, right? We're not talking about 30-weekers, 32-weekers. We're talking about micropremies. And this finding should serve to encourage policymakers to identify and enforce strategies. I think... Um, I mean, I'm not sure what you guys think about this. Actually, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I think this is this is a big deal. And um, yeah, I have mixed thoughts. I have uh -huh. mixed thoughts. Right. I think we know that the more you do something in a unit, the better you are at it. And even with the way we were regionalizing care, there was still so much like inequities in in access to care. I mean, I think it, as we do this, it, it will have to be uh, um, also there. There will also have to be this increased education yes. and resources to these to these hospitals. That, I think that, that's the key. That's sort of what they're saying, right? They're saying that they want to enforce strategy to ensure that the infants with the highest risk of adverse outcomes are right. born in hospitals where they have the best chance or optimal outcomes. Right. And I think. I think we've we've agreed that the higher level centers are going to be the places, but it does create these sort of deserts where For babies sure. are born and they're born in places where the time to get them to the regional center could be very detrimental. And so Right, and I think as we regionalized care, those outlying hospitals did less and less. I was going to say, right? right. Yeah, it's so, like I can't so do, they lost their training. I can't do a vent. I've got to send this kid out. Like I'm not, you know, yeah. and or I don't have the resources, the equipment. I think the equipment is a huge thing to consider in terms mm -hmm. of budget of the hospital, in terms of training, oh, yeah. um, the personnel, I think is sometimes mm -hmm. there's no neonatologists in the, uh, at night. So um, yeah. I think that this is, I think it's really interesting though. I did not know this, that, um, and I think it'll be interesting to follow the trend. Um, yeah. I mean, I think um, what's interesting is the fact that like we've seen this with HIE right where mm -hmm. where where now you have these regional uh these outlying hospitals that really have to resort to passive cooling because they no longer cool these infants and then how long does it take to get the transport team and mm -hmm. I mean let's be honest it's it's kind of the literature is good in terms of doing studies, but like how many times have we seen some transport just getting delayed and it's like, oh, and the ambulance went to the wrong, like these things happen every day. This doesn't always surface in the literature, but then 
what does that mean for an infant that ends up arriving at a cooling center at seven, eight hours, 12 hours, because the transfer center just, there was an issue, right? These things do happen. And so you wonder whether that's either good or bad. Um, I think again, like I'm probably sound like a broken record, but I think at the end of the day will be a, a proper, uh, middle ground where where outlying hospitals can do more things and especially as technologies become like i mean as we see with the use of ai and so many things hopefully smaller hospitals can do much more and uh make sure that we can get the better outcomes for our infants but i think i I think this is a yeah no i was gonna say this is an interesting paper that i also think with our technology and the way we can communicate virtually those bigger referral centers can can do different modes of communication instead of just send me the baby. Like maybe we can still be a part of this baby's care. And, and there's a lot of that telehealth. People are working right. on it. It will be really, it, it's so fascinating to see how this works. Like, you know, there's screen where Daphne could be in a rural NICU coaching somebody through something without being there. It's, it's, it's mind blowing how this is working now. So I think that yeah. as that, spreads it still requires a lot of resources you you can't have the technology go down mm-hmm. yeah yeah i also think we have done so many papers about the differences in say um resuscitation thresholds across the country right so um there are some babies who never got the opportunity or won't get the opportunity depending on where they live and so i think this this may increase that equity we'll see yeah. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.